Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. We thank you that we belong in a family that is a unique family, a family like no other family. It's the family of Almighty God. And we have a covenant with you, Father. So we thank you for that covenant and Jesus being the mediator of that covenant. We just thank you in Jesus' name that you're always faithful. We sang these songs today that you're a good, good Father, that you're a wonderful Maker. We sang the heart of the Father today. Everything kept pointing back to the Father. Even the song when we talked about our inheritance. Our inheritance, we know, comes from our Father. So, Daddy, we just thank you that we saw you thread into this worship this morning, your heart. And uh, we're so grateful and so thankful for it. In Jesus' name, we bless you. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I preached a message called Dead to Sin, Alive to God. That message has been ringing in my heart ever since. You know, I thought about this. It's like a gong. When the mallet strikes the gong, long after it strikes it, the gong is still singing. (laughs) The, The gong is still ringing. The gong is still vibrating. The gong is still resounding. The mallet is like God's Word, and when God's Word strikes the gong, it's, it's like our heart. So when God's Word strikes our heart, that's what should happen. Our heart should sing. Our heart should ring. Our heart should resound. Our heart should rejoice. Our heart should be glad. It's really God's Word. I mean, apart from God's Word, you can't have that kind of joy. You show me a person that's full of joy, I'll show you a person that's in God's Word. Pure and simple. It's just the way it works. The words dead to sin actually are in the Bible. They come out of Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. And the Bible says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word count there is the word legizomai, and it literally means to reckon, or it literally means to harmonize. I love that. When God says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, he was saying, harmonize. In other words, when you think of harmony, you think of a chord, and within that chord you have notes, if you will. And if we say, let's, let's sing in the chord of C, the chord of C may have the, the note of G, and it may have the note of E. But when you take, for example, a song that's sung in all those three notes, if you will, When you bring three people in, singing the same message, same song, but they're singing in those different notes, that is harmony, and it is a beautiful thing to listen to. And so all God is saying when he's saying, count yourselves dead to sin, he's saying, let that harmony begin to ring. Say what I say, okay? Quit saying what I don't say. And you know what? It's so fitting when God said that the disciples were in one accord. I mean, no pun intended, but one accord. God is saying they had the same heart. They had my heart. They were seeking my heart. And so it's very, very important. This scripture right here, count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We celebrate all the times when we preach resurrection messages and we think, oh, thank God, I'm alive in Christ. And I'm excited about that too. But I want to tell you something. It excites me to know that I'm dead to sin too. And when you look at Romans chapter 6, the whole chapter talks about being dead, dying, death, crucified, being buried with him in baptism. All throughout Romans chapter 6, it is there to remind us we are dead to sin alive to God in Christ Jesus. That means the penalty of sin has been done away with. 
Sin can no longer be attached to the believer's spirit. That is extremely good news. So this morning I want to take you on a short journey to show you the confidence behind the framework that the Apostle Paul had when he said, we are dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, as I preach a message called a rich inheritance. I want you to see that our rich inheritance begins when the faith of God and our hearts come into harmony with the gospel of God. The gospel of God. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 again. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I want you to look at that scripture for just a moment because what you are looking at right here is absolutely the gospel. You see, all the gospel means is good news. It, the gospel, the word gospel means the good message, the good news. Let me ask you a question. Would you say that it's good news that you are dead to sin? Absolutely. Is it good news that you're alive to God? Undeniably. Is it good news that we are in Christ Jesus? Unequivocally. Encapsulated in that one little verse tucked away in Romans chapter 6, it says all those things. You are dead to sin, alive to God, and he makes sure he sums it up with saying, in Christ Jesus. That is the gospel. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus himself said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. I want you to notice how Jesus started off. He said the first thing, this is a great list, by the way, of all the things Jesus said, this is why I've come. And I'll tell you what, as we course our way through our Christian walk, that should be the very same thing on our heart and our mind everywhere we go. But he starts off by saying, he said, the reason I've come is to preach the gospel. He said, I've come that I might preach the good news. When Jesus said, I've come to preach the gospel to the poor, he wasn't talking about people at a certain income level, although it incorporates those people. He was talking about the people that were poor in spirit. And that's why he couldn't get very far with the Pharisees. They would never acknowledge they were poor in spirit. But one thing I loved about the poor people that we ran into is poor people are very good receivers. <laughs> they are good receivers. Anything you give them, they'll just take it. I don't care if it's something physically or if you just want to talk to them. Poor people are very good receivers. I remember when we were at this one particular place and we were ministering to the children. We fed them. We did our dramas. We did our skits and whatnot. And then we had a lot of zapatos. Zapatos are shoes, and they want shoes. So basically what you do is you grab a pair of shoes, you kind of look at about the side, and you start looking at feet <laughs> to see which one do these go on. Because they told us, don't put tight shoes on, on somebody. you got to give them a little room to grow. I mean, the same thing moms would do here. And so I saw this one boy, and I had a nice pair of white tennis shoes. And I thought, man, that looks about the same size as your foot. Now, can you imagine trying to put a tight shoe on someone with no shoehorn, no socks. It's 100 degrees out. It's tough to do, isn't it? And I wanted these shoes to fit so bad, so bad. And finally, I got that shoe on him, and I said, no. I said, 
I know he couldn't understand, but I said, no, it's too tight. He's like, no, no, I wanted his zapatos. I said, no, it's too tight. I didn't have the heart to take those shoes off that boy, to be honest with you. I figured, listen, if he may wear them for a, a little while and outgrow them and give them to a little sibling or something like that. But poor people are good, good receivers in Jesus' name. Jesus said, I have come to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, all of the things we did in Nicaragua, all the things that you're doing in Haiti, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Let me tell you something, friends. Religion and mixture of covenants have kept God's people poor. And I want to explain this in particular, the mixture of covenants. In the Bible, you see all these different covenants. You see the Adamic covenant. That's the covenant God had between himself and Adam. Then you see the Abrahamic covenant, and you see the Noahic covenant, the covenant between he and Noah. You see the Davidic covenant between him and David. But ultimately, the Bible nets down to really two covenants that it talks about. It talks about the old covenant, and it talks about the new covenant. Those are your covenants. And we can see clearly in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10 that the Old Covenant has been done away with. The Old Covenant was a do good, get good, do bad, get bad system. In other words, the blessings were attached to your strict obedience to be able to follow all God's laws. If you broke God's laws, a curse came upon you. If you did what was right, then blessings came upon you. I thank God that we don't live under that covenant anymore. That doesn't make me want to run out and be a lawbreaker, but that was what the Old Covenant consisted of. Now, let me give you this word picture. This is what God put in my heart this morning. I want you to picture this for a second. A husband and wife have been married for 50 years. They have had an awesome marriage. They have had several children together. They love each other. They get along great. And then all of a sudden, the husband who has B-positive blood needs a transfusion. His wife has A-positive blood, and she says, I'll give you my blood. It sounds good. I mean, come on, listen, only A and B? I mean, really, what could be the difference between A and B, really? They're both positive. He's got B positive. She's got A positive. It does make a difference. If you try to put A positive blood in a B positive person, I want you to know something. This is what you end up with. You end up with a disseminated intravascular coagulation. Come on, nurses, help me out in here now. Can you just tell that belongs on the naughty list? Coagulation? So in other words, what really begins to happen is your red blood cells begin to attack your own body, and you end up with something called thrombosis, which means your blood begins to clot like crazy. In most cases, you would end up dying. You can't just put any blood in any person. You say, wait a minute, it's, it all looks the same. It's all red. It's, it's all runny. It's all No, it is not the same. So when you're taking the old covenant and you're trying to put it in a new covenant person, you know what happens? Thrombosis. In life, we get in all these habits of doing certain things certain ways. And what happened is in all of our upbringing in church, we learned the principles of the Old Covenant because that's all we were basically taught. And so now we're trying to strike this harmony, this balance between Old Covenant and New Covenant, and there is no balance really. Listen, the blood of bulls and goats are not the same as the blood of Jesus. It's a different blood. You can't just keep going, I want the blood of bulls and goats. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus was standing right before him and saying, hey, how about drinking 
drinking my blood. How about eating my flesh? No, we want the blood of bulls and goats. It doesn't work, I'm telling you. It will frustrate your Christian walk. So it's really important to take God's Word and study it and find out what is in the Old Covenant, what is in the New Covenant, and just live by New Covenant principles. Religion and mixture of covenants have kept God's people poor, it's kept them brokenhearted, it's kept them captive, it's kept them blind, and it's kept them bruised for a very long time. The only thing I've seen that will set you free, it's only the preaching of the gospel that God loves you, God loves you, God cares about you, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought, no matter what you went through, God cares about you. And Jesus came, he said, to preach the gospel. He said, when I preach the gospel, it's going to release people from captivity. It's going to mend your broken heart. It's going to cause you to see, and you will be healed. Your broken heart, your bruised heart, your battered heart will come and be healed. So I've come by today to tell you that a rich inheritance begins by knowing for certain that we are dead to sin. We are alive to God in Christ Jesus the Lord. All right. Have you ever done this? You've just randomly opened your Bible. We used to do this when we were first saved. We just kind of close our eyes, randomly open the Bible, and just point. You ever do that? And say, God, talk to me? Some of you still doing that? We should get a little more mature about it now. But, I mean, he can do it that way, really. He can. But imagine you were to open your Bible randomly, and your eyes were to fall on that Scripture, the one about dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. You would be looking into the mirror of the gospel, pure and simple. The heart of our Father is not only that we would be planted in Jesus, but the heart of our Father is that we would come to the revelation that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. So the question that God dropped in my heart was this. How does knowing that we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus proliferate good health in our soul? Here's what God said to me. Number one, because dead men do not have to perform. I'm so thankful that I don't have to perform to get my daddy to like me. I don't have to perform to get my daddy to love me. I don't have to perform to get my father to bring his presence in. I don't have to perform to get him to put grace on my life. I don't have to perform to get favor from my father. What walking in this truth of knowing that you're already dead to sin, you're alive to God, you've been planted in Jesus Christ, what it does is it takes away your ability to perform. Another thing I thought about is I don't have to impress anybody. It wouldn't matter if this church ultimately ended up on Wall Street, Main Street, or a dead end street. It doesn't matter to me because I'm not out to impress anybody. You know, a lot of people, they want to validate your ministry by asking you the question when they first meet you. I guarantee you, it's happened so many times. You tell them you're a pastor and you have a church, within one minute, almost every single person will ask you, how many people do you have in your church? In many cases, they're trying to validate whether or not I should even keep listening to you because you say five or ten people, they're like, well, <laughs> good luck with that. If you say a mega church, oh, we got thousands of people, then they're like, oh, what have you done? What kind of programs are you doing? What they're trying to do is validate if you've got an effective ministry, if, if I need to keep talking to you or not. I've got a new answer for people when they say, how many people do you have in your church? My new answer is 6.5 billion people. Because we're on the internet, everybody can come to Triumphant Grace Ministries. It doesn't matter how many people we have in our church. What matters is do you have the right message in your church, not how many people you have in your church. You know, the thing that uh, knowing that we're dead to sin and alive to God does is it takes away the ability 
and the desire to compete. You see, I'm not the kind of person that goes, man, i got to be up here every single Sunday. I love when my wife gets her turn. I love when Pastor Steve gets his turn. Two weeks ago, we had Nancy up here. Listen, we're all on the same team. We are all on the same team. Here's another thing that being dead to sin and alive to God, when you have that awareness, what it will do is it will take away your shyness. Dead people are not shy. Dead people are not easily embarrassed. Dead people don't vacillate between opinions. Dead people just quite frankly don't care about anything. They're not inhibited. And that's what God is doing more and more in my heart as the message of grace continues to get established in my heart. I could just really care less about what your opinion is, to be honest with you. Now, if I've done something to hurt you, listen, I want to make it right. If you just don't like something about it, listen, I get it from God. Take it up with Him. So when you catch the revelation that you are dead to sin and alive to God, what happens is that performance mentality will cease. Your shyness will take a long walk on a short pier, and you'll quit vacillating between two opinions, and you'll start standing on the Word of God. That's all I do, is I stand on the Word of God. But in order to stand on the Word of God, you've got to put the Word of God in you. In order to put the Word of God in you and let it really be effective, then you have to have a grace foundation. And that's what God's been doing for these last couple of years, is He's been establishing that foundation of grace in our hearts. Have you ever turned on the television and you found yourself right into the middle of a movie? In other words, you've missed the first half. But there's a scene that just kind of sucks you in like a vortex and you start watching it and you get interested in it. And so you watch the balance of the movie. Even though you have missed the first half, which is really the most important part of the movie because it's where the framework is laid. It's where the foundation is put in place. It's what frames it so that everything will make sense and stages everything so it makes sense throughout the movie. This was the case with the Apostle Paul. You see, he's in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, telling you he's dead to sin, he's alive to God in Christ Jesus. But the Apostle Paul has just made that bold declaration because he has just walked through five and a half chapters of the book of Romans, and finally it's like he can't contain himself anymore, and he says it just as simple as he can. He says, I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God. Where did that boldness come from? I'll tell you where it came from. The Apostle Paul watched the first half of the movie. Just that pure and simple. He just walked through the first five chapters of Romans, and on his way through, he was chiseling out million-dollar words that promote the inflexible truths of our identity in Christ. In the first five chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul introduces these words. Justification, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a big word. He said, hey, let me add one to it. Reconciliation, another big word. They're getting bigger, aren't they? Justification and reconciliation. Then he introduces propitiation. What? What kind of word is that? And then he finally introduces righteousness. All of these big words, one by one, Paul penned these words while declaring over us, we have a rich we have a rich, rich inheritance because of what God has done. God has justified you. God has reconciled you. God has made us righteous. Jesus has been our propitiation for sin. Throughout uh, the first five chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul threads, I mean, he does it so well, the timeless truths of our inheritance. Friends, we have a rich inheritance. Quit living in your past. 
you're somewhere in the future and you look much better than you look right now. You're somewhere in the future and you look much better than you look right now. You're somewhere in the future and you look much better than you look right now. You're somewhere. Do you get the point? He wasn't looking in the past. He was straining to look forward and he said, listen, this is who I am in Christ. This is what I'm called to. I'm not letting anything short circuit my mission as to why I'm here. I am dead to sin. I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. I have the richest inheritance of any man on earth. You're somewhere in the future and you're looking much better than you look right now. The Apostle Paul declares throughout those first five chapters of Romans that we have inherited. Now this is what I'm getting at. Here's what he says. Here's what you've inherited. Let me just summarize it for you. He says you have inherited the faith of God. And that's where our life begins. It's where it begins and where it ends. Our walk is always by faith. He says, you have inherited the faith of God. But not only have you inherited the faith of God, you've inherited the forgiveness of God. And he goes on to say, the gift of God. And you've inherited the glory of God, Romans chapter 5. You've inherited the goodness of God and the grace of God and the hope of God and the love of God. All these are found there. The oracles of God, the peace of God, the power of God. And he said, let me say it one more other way. You've inherited all the promises of God. Oh, there in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 5, one by one. And I felt the Lord say, Mark, why don't you just do a series? Let's talk about the faith of God a little bit today, but really drive home that point of what our inheritance looks like. It's a rich inheritance. Uh, do you feel rich today? I feel rich today. Yeah, okay, I don't have $1,500 slippers on and a $15,000 suit, but I feel rich. I feel rich in my spirit. And that's why we could go to a country that was so poor. And, and yeah, Pastor Mark had on jeans and tennis shoes. He sure did. And a green shirt, you know, that said ambassadors to the nation. But I felt like the richest man on earth. And everywhere my feet trod, I had such a confidence because I knew I had come there with a message for those people, a message of God's love, a message of God's touch, a message of God's mercy, a message of God's forgiveness. And everywhere we went, we deposited, we released that message of God's goodness everywhere we went. Oh, man. Thank you, God. Romans chapter 6 is the apex of all the framework that the Apostle Paul has been talking about. All those big buzzwords. It's the pinnacle, if you will. It's the grand finale. The Apostle Paul cannot contain himself. He's at 212 now. He is just boiling. And he says, I gotta let this thing out. Hey, you're dead to sin, alive to God in Christ. Jesus. And he says it in such basic Bible English. When I first got saved, God planted me in a holiness church called the Church of God of Prophecy. That's where I grew for nine years, okay? And uh, I'll never forget the first time I went to church, they, I sat in on the Sunday school class of the adults. And there was a lady teaching, and it was her style to pass out scriptures to each one of the students, so she wasn't doing all the reading. They were participating. And she gave me one of the three scriptures in the New Testament that contained that third word, propitiation. I had never heard that word before. I had never seen that word. And when if, unless you hear someone pronounce it, you look at it like, proper what is that? And so when it came time for me to read that, I'd already looked ahead and seen what I was reading. I'm like, what is, oh man, right away, you feel so dumb, you know? I don't know this word. And so she said, okay, Mark, read your scripture. And I took two or three runs at that. Finally, she had to help me, you know, with that word. But you know what? I've come to the conclusion, it's okay if I can't define justification. 
It's okay if I can't pronounce propitiation. It's okay if I can't spell reconciliation. All I need to remember, very plain and simple, like the Apostle Paul, he said, you are dead to sin and alive to God, and that encompasses all that in Christ Jesus. What a rich inheritance. Our rich inheritance manifests with the revelation that you and I possess the faith of God. That's where it begins. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14, we find these words. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And watch what it says. And his disciples heard him say it. Very important. His disciples were with him, and they heard him say this. Skipping up a few verses now. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, which means good teacher, of course, look, he's like a little kid right now. I mean, he probably didn't think anything about it. He probably think, Jesus, is kind of crazy talking to fig trees here, cursing fig trees. But when he came back, he's like, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believe what they say will happen and it will be done for them. Now, here's the point I want to make. When Jesus said, have faith in God, he was literally saying, have faith of God. Have God's faith. He wasn't saying, Peter, go get God's faith. It's a gift. He was literally saying, Peter, I want to remind you that I've already given you a gift. Have faith of God. That's what the Apostle Paul was driving home throughout Romans chapters 1 through 5. He was talking about faith. Faith. Chapter 3 about Abraham. Faith. Chapter 4. Faith. Chapter 5. You're justified by faith. And so that we can appreciate, we can enjoy the fact that we are dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's just all about faith. The faith of God is a rich inheritance. The four-year-old girl that got killed in Nicaragua, oh, what a beautiful day that was. A mother brought her four-year-old girl to us, and through interpreters we asked her, what is it you need? And she said, my little daughter is blind in her right eye. She cannot see at all. My wife was standing there, I was standing there, and about two other missionaries, and we got down on our knees, and I took that little precious little girl, and I put my hands on the side of her face. First of all, I started speaking in English. She didn't understand a word. I started speaking in tongues. She didn't understand a word of that. You don't need to understand anything when God's involved, friends. It's all by faith, you know. Jesus said these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. You see, there were times when we would be in classrooms and we would be putting little tattoos on little boys, and there were times when we'd be painting fingernails and toenails, and there were times when we'd be blowing bubbles and the kids would be going crazy, but that's not why God sent us. God sent us for this reason right here, to preach the gospel and to give sight to the blind. And so there was such a confidence as we prayed. 
And so when we were done, I asked the little girl, can you see? Well, the little girl can't understand me. The interpreter asked her, can you see? She was too shy to say anything. So the interpreter asked the, the mother, can your little daughter see? So the mother asked the little daughter, can you see, little daughter? The little daughter put her hand over her the eyes she could see out of and She started looking around. She whispered back to her mom, and her mom fell apart uh, in our hands because the little girl's eyes were instantly open. The faith of God working through us manifested into a rich inheritance for that little girl, a rich inheritance for that family, and God instantly opened the eyes of that little blind girl. In Acts chapter 26, verses 12 through 18, we find these words. On one of these journeys, as I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven. Who's this talking, man? This is the Apostle Paul recalling what had happened to him on the road to Damascus. He said, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes. We're not talking just about blind people physically. We're talking about in the spiritual realm. And listen, if we're walking under the old covenant, we are still blind to spiritual things. And he says, I am sending you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those, watch this now, who are sanctified by faith in me. There's that word faith again. The word sanctified literally means to be set apart. God is saying, listen, I set you apart when I saved you. It was me that did the work. I did it through the faith. The very faith that I gave you, I worked through that faith and I set you apart. I set you apart as missionaries to Haiti. I set you apart as pastors in Kenosha. I've set you apart in whatever you do, Bible study uh, leaders. I've set you apart. I've sanctified you. So why? Why is it important to know it's God's faith? Because it's God's faith that heals us. It's God's faith that delivers us. It's His faith that prospers us. It's His faith that compels us to take this message of the gospel to the lost. Jesus said, have the faith of God. Not just faith in God, but have the faith of God. You've got to see that, Nancy. God has given you His faith. His faith has been deposited in your heart. You can have the faith of God working in you. And He says when that happens, nothing will be impossible. You can start looking forward and start picking up your mind, if you will, to be able to see, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. What a rich inheritance we had. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, we see the relationship between faith and inheritance. And it starts right out of the gate by saying, by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance. Do you see this? by faith receive as his inheritance. Your inheritance is by faith and by faith alone. It comes through grace. It manifests through grace, of course, but it's by faith that your inheritance uh, will manifest. 
It says, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs. There's that word. That's where inheritance comes from. Heirs. Inheritance, if you will. Who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward. Not looking behind. Not looking to the left. Not looking to the right. He was looking forward, the Bible says, to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Remember, you're somewhere in your future and you look much better than you look right now. Romans chapter 1, verse 17 says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. A righteousness. There's that big 14-letter word again. A righteousness that is by faith. Your righteousness is by faith. Where did you get the faith that came from God? Jesus said, have God's faith. Have the faith of God. Your righteousness is by faith. And then I love what he says. He says it's from first to last. This is the very name Jesus put on himself. He said, I'm not only the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. He said, hey, I want to tell you something. I'm the first and the last. So right there literally is saying, your faith is from Jesus to Jesus. It's, it's Jesus over here. It starts with Jesus. It's going to end ultimately with Jesus. And your walk all through life is going to be by faith and it's going to be by Jesus and Jesus alone. It's the blood of Jesus, my friends. It's the blood of Jesus. He said that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. But do you want other people to see that you've got the life of Christ living in you? Then realize it is by faith. Realize that you have been made dead to sin. Sin no longer has a hold on you. Because I'll tell you what, when we sin, when we do something, we say something, we do something we shouldn't have done, you know what it does? Sin wants to keep condemning us. I don't walk in that junk anymore. I don't. I say, get out of my life. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. You have no hold on me anymore. But that's what sin wants to do. Sin wants to beat you up. It wants to condemn you so that you back off. You start backing off. No, maybe I better not talk to this guy about the love of God because I'm not feeling the love of God right now. Why? Well, because I'm walking under condemnation. Something's been messing with my mind. Something's been beating me up, if you will. It's not the way Jesus intended for us to go through life, my friends. The righteous will live by faith. You notice he doesn't say the righteous are going to limp through life. The righteous are going to live status quo lives. The, the righteous are just going to get by. The righteous shall live. Live by faith. And if Jesus said the righteous shall live by faith, it's his life living through us. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you can live through me. What a rich inheritance. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think sober according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Did you see what he said? He said, God has dealt it out to every man. There's your faith. <laughs> There's your faith. There's more than you know what to do with. There's your faith. Here's your faith. Here's your faith. Take some faith. Take some faith. Have faith. Have faith in God. Have the faith of God. That's what God does. He's measured to every man the measure of faith. So we have this faith working, and Paul has been talking about that. I mean, go read Romans chapter 3 and 4. Abraham, that awesome man of faith. 
Oh, my goodness. In closing, I want to say these words. In Psalm chapter 145, verses 1 through 21, we find these words. David said, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Verse 3, he says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is great all the time. I mean, you got to start seeing your daddy is great all the time. When things aren't going right in your life, daddy is great all the time. David said he is great and worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And then verse 4 says this, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. You see, an inheritance is something you pass along. And so because we've inherited the grace of God and the love of God and the, and the faith of God, we can keep passing that along as an inheritance for someone else. We deposited stuff when we were in Nicaragua, didn't we? We deposited things over in Nicaragua that will continue to grow long after we're gone. He says, one generation commends your works to another and they tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. David said your works are wonderful. How often are they wonderful? All the time. God's works are wonderful all the time. Here's what his works do. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. David had to be seeing something. I think sometimes us as believers don't see I don't know how God was communicating all this stuff and how David was seeing all of this stuff. I don't fully know how to articulate that, but David penned what he heard and what he saw and what God had put in his heart. We've got a better covenant than David. David had the Spirit on him. We have the Spirit in us. See, we can say not only is the Spirit of the Lord upon me, we can say the Spirit of the Lord is in me. That's good news. Verse 6, they tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness. Meditate on that for a second. Saturate yourself with that for a moment. Marinate your heart in that for a second. They talk about his abundant goodness. First of all, God is abundant in everything. He doesn't lack in anything. But David is accentuating God's goodness by saying, your goodness is abundant. And so we must always see that God's goodness by faith, we have to apprehend that God's goodness is always, always abundant, and God's goodness is for me. Celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious. How often? All the time. And compassionate. How often? All the time. I love this part. It says, He is slow to anger. Slow to anger. All the time. He is slow to anger. And I love that. He says, and rich, and rich in love. That's why we have a rich inheritance. Our daddy's rich. Our daddy's rich in love. And so what is in our daddy is in Christ. And what's in Christ is in you. And what's in you is the hope of glory. That's why we have a rich inheritance. It's because my daddy is full of love. My daddy is slow to anger. My daddy is gracious and compassionate. Am I in the word? I'm in the word. I didn't make this stuff up. My daddy is full of all these wonderful virtues. The Lord is good to all. 
The Lord is good to all. That means when we deserve it or we don't deserve it as believers. He has compassion on all he has made. Has he made you? I'll tell you something. He made me. And he made you. And he broke the mold when he made you. He has made you and he's compassionate on you. All your works praise you, David said. Your faithful people extol you. Wow. Yeah, I just like to meditate when I see things like this right here. Because it just blows my mind almost just to say, really, God? You're really all of that and so much more? Yes, he really is. It says, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. I want you to know your daddy's hands are open to you. Your daddy's hands are not closed and his arms are not crossed. Your daddy's hands are open to you. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. I'm going to stop here for this moment. The wicked is never talking about a believer. These are people that ultimately all their life have said no to God, no thank you, I don't need you, I think I'll live my life by myself, that's a wicked man. There's nothing wicked in you, you are righteous in his eyes, you have been justified, you have been reconciled, you have been made righteous, declared righteous in the eyes of God. And then verse 21, he says, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord, let every creature praise his holy name forever and Ever. I want to challenge you to let those scriptures resound in your heart, ring in your heart. The reason I can stand and declare the message, I am dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, is because I'm very mindful that I have the faith of God, I have the forgiveness of God, I have the gift of God is working in my heart. I have the glory of God that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 5. I have the goodness of God. I have the grace of God working inside of me. He talked about a hope. And he talked about the love of God that God has poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. He talks about the oracles of God. And that is literally the word of God. That God has given us his word. And by faith we can consume his word. He said, you've got the peace of God that passes all understanding. You friends have the power of God. That's the one thing I think we've got to see. I think it's in Romans chapter 1 where he talks about we have the power of God. And he says this message, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation. And he said it's in your tongue. And then we have the promise of God. And as we know, the Bible says that the promises of God in Christ are always yes and amen. What a rich inheritance we have. Father, I want to thank you. These truths are going to continue to ring in our hearts in Jesus' name. And Father, I want to thank you that you've challenged us to make Romans a, a steady diet that we would feed on it. Because once we are established in the truths of justification and righteousness and propitiation, and sanctification, and glorification, and reconciliation. Once we're established in those truths, we will not be moved. 
I want to thank you that we truly have the faith of God. Not just faith in God, but the faith of God working in our hearts. And we can do all things to Christ who strengthens us. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father, as we speak goodness and blessings over your people. In Jesus' name.